This is Exposing Washington with Walker Wildman, bringing clarity to Washington, D.C. news. We see corruption at every level in Washington. Exposing the deception plaguing our nation's capital. Not only what he told every Republican senator, but what he told the press over and over and over again was a simple lie. And helping Christians stay informed about government. This puts a bigger burden on voters to go figure out what's actually going on. This is Exposing Washington with Walker Wildman on American Family Radio. Washington, the most unproductive town in America. Welcome to Exposing Washington on the American Family Radio Network. My name is Walker Wildman. Glad to be with you today. AFR.net is our website. You're listening to the American Family Radio Network. Glad you're with us this Saturday afternoon. Washington, the most unproductive town in America, is what we're going to be talking about today. And that's what I'm calling it. Washington, D.C., the most unproductive town in the country. A little provocative headline there, but I'm going to delve into that and why I think Washington is extremely, extremely unproductive on a grand scale. That's what we'll talk about. If you want to go to our website, AFR.net, you can find all things exposing Washington there. You can also listen live. Download the AFR app in addition to that. Download the app on your phone, on your tablet device, even on your computer. You can visit our website, AFR.net. Various ways to keep up with the show, keep up with everything American family radio you can follow me on twitter walker wildman on twitter and lastly you can catch us on youtube watch the show on youtube just type in exposing washington on youtube you'll find our uh, channel there and you can watch the show each week there on youtube we're going to talk about several different things uh today we're going to talk about uh, the democrats and how radical they are and we'll also talk about the uh, Washington, D.C., what goes on there, who's on our team, who's not, etc. That's what we're going to talk about. Also, there's some, some good news coming out of the, the court system uh, with President Trump and the border wall. We'll also talk about that later on in the show. The first thing I want to jump into is, you know, we have a lot of problems going on in Washington, D.C. We have stagnation absolute complete stagnation nothing gets done there on a significant scale and you just wonder who's on our team who in washington dc shares our values shares our judeo-christian values values based on the bible based on scripture based on the constitution free market, individual liberty, individual responsibility, who on earth in Washington, D.C. shares those values? Well, we actually have some people in Washington who believe like we do, and they act on it. Just to name a few, you know, we have the Freedom Caucus there in the House of Representatives. That's what they're called, the Freedom Caucus. And this is a group of 30-something-odd men in the House of Representatives who are all freedom-loving patriots. They love the Constitution, love our country. That's uh, the Freedom Caucus. And then there's some other House members who are solid conservatives and vote accordingly. Then uh, we have in the Senate, there's a handful of conservatives in the Senate, those who share our values, share our beliefs. Senator Ted Cruz, uh, Mike Lee of Utah, Senator Rand Paul, there's a handful of others 
uh, James Lankford of Oklahoma. So as conservatives, we do have some allies in Washington, D.C. Now, they're, they're not the majority of the lawmakers in Washington, D.C. I, would, I think it's, it's certain to say that the majority of lawmakers in Washington, D.C. do not share our values. As a matter of fact, they hold values that are 100%, 100% contrary to what we believe as Christians and how our values uh, play out when it comes to public policy. President Trump, lastly, President Trump in the White House, he is definitely an ally of Christians, of people who love the Constitution. And his policies are reflecting that. His policies are reflecting that. And ever since President Trump was elected, and even before he was elected, there has been this fringe of conservatives called the Never Trumpers, if you will, and they persistently, repeatedly, over and over again, bash President Trump, and they hate on any conservative or Christian that dare support Donald Trump. And this type of hatred is, it's honestly sickening. Because here we are, and I'm, I'm, I'm talking about the fellow conservatives, fellow Christians, fellow evangelicals, that three years after Donald Trump's election, they're still talking about how much they don't like Donald Trump. These are people who claim to share Christian values, who claim to share constitutional conservative values, the same ones that I, that I claim on this show. But then they go... And they insult my integrity, insult your integrity, those of you who actually like what Donald Trump is doing in the Oval Office. They insult us by saying, how can you be a Christian and vote for Donald Trump? How can you be a conservative and support Donald Trump? That's their main claim. Have you not seen Donald Trump's past? He's had three marriages. And maybe maybe four, two, three, I don't know. I don't study all that. I know he's had multiple marriages. That's a fact. There are all kind of things about Donald Trump that I don't like. Would I have preferred a once married Christian evangelical in the Oval Office with impeccable character and integrity? Of course, who wouldn't want that? What Christian wouldn't want that? But that's not what was on the ballot in 2016. In 2016, after the primary, I actually voted for Ted Cruz in the primary. But after the primary, November rolls around, and we have Hillary Clinton, who wants to expedite the murder of innocent babies in the womb, who wants to continue to carry out the sexual deviancy agenda, who wants to put her adulterous husband, the former president, back in the Oval Office. Who wants to put the repeated 
accused of rape, Bill Clinton, back in the Oval Office. We had that. And then we had loudmouth Donald Trump, who from all indications has left his former Playboy lifestyle and is now happily married to Melania Trump. Not only that, Donald Trump promised to carry out policies that were in line with my worldview. Conservative constitutional policies, limited government, pro-life, religious freedom, all these policies that I claim to want implemented, that's what Donald Trump was campaigning on. So what did I do? Voted for Donald Trump in 2016, and I do not regret that vote any, any. And so, but there's still uh, uh, Christians out there, conservatives, who can't stand the fact that Donald Trump is in the Oval Office as if we had a different choice in 2016. And one main thing there, the last thing I want to point out is... If Donald Trump wasn't in the Oval Office, we would have at least two more, probably three or four more, judges on the Supreme Court that would be anarchists, liberals, non-conservatives, making horrific rulings that affect our everyday life. There would be no more pro-life policies. As a matter of fact, funding to Planned Parenthood would probably skyrocket under a Clinton presidency. Our economy would be in the dumps. And so if you want to get me to say that I regret voting for Donald Trump in 2016, that ain't going to happen. It's never going to happen. As much as I don't like his tweets sometimes, I didn't vote for him because of his tweets. I voted for him because of his policies, and he's doing a pretty dead gum good job. Back to our country and what we're facing And while I think Washington, D.C. is one of the most unproductive towns in America, let's just listen to this. This is clip three, and this is from Campus Reform. And the the, the fellow here with Campus Reform is going up to Democrat voters, and he's saying, asking them, tell me one accomplishment of former Vice President Joe Biden. Tell me one accomplishment And here's what they had to say. Clip three. Let's listen. What do you view as Joe Biden's singular like accomplishment you would point to? I I don't know of a specific accomplishment of his. I know that there are things that, you know, he can put his name on and say, well, this was done when I was in office. This was done when I was in office. I'll be honest with you. I'm drawing a blank on on what, what, what he accomplished. I do know that he's fought for poor Americans. Are there any accomplishments that come to mind that you can point to for Joe Biden? No. Anything? No. I don't know. What would you view as <laughs> Joe Biden's main accomplishment? His accomplishments has been um, the health care program. He was, you know, very instrumental with that. In your mind, what is Joe Biden's main accomplishment you would point to? I'm... You know, I, 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 I don't know if I have an answer for that. Tangibly, though, if a, if a person who was undecided were to ask you what's the, the main thing you can point to as, as Joe Biden's singular accomplishment, what would you point them to? Well, I think his, uh, you know, 
years of service, uh, but more more recently, I think he served with very much distinction <laughs> with uh, with Obama. Well, there you have it. That's a video from campus reform, and as you see, there are no accomplishments. There are literally no accomplishments, and it's one thing if the interviewee or the interviewer from campus reform was asking Republican voters. Then you would say, okay, well, they're partisans. They're, they can't come up with an accomplishment because they just don't like him. They just don't like Joe Biden. But that's not the case. In this video, they're asking Democrats who voted for President Obama and Vice President Joe Biden in 2008. They're asking the voters, name one accomplishment, and they cannot seem to muster one single accomplishment and that that that's that's a tell-all that shows us everything we need to know and that is that democrats and even some republicans and we're going to talk about that in a minute democrats go to washington hate on donald trump and do nothing they spend more time bashing president trump than they do solving problems. And we have plenty of problems. I just listed a few here. Illegal immigration. The opioid crisis. The mob-like behavior of the left. Burning flags, burning buildings, terrorizing police, terrorizing Trump supporters. We have state governments punishing Christians who failed to fall in line with the the Marxist-type ideology. We have big tech and big business clamping down on conservative speech, Google, Facebook. We have our financial crisis, and people don't want to call it that, but that's what it is. Now, I'm not saying the economy is going to crash. I don't know. It might. But I think we can all agree that the government has to absolutely has to stop spending money at the rate they're spending it. So we have all these issues. And guess what Washington is doing with the exception of President Trump? The rest of the town is doing at diddly squat. They're doing nothing. Meanwhile, our country burns. I read an article today where this year, 2019, our southern borders is going to see one of the one of the record numbers of illegal immigrants, 1.1 million illegal immigrants cross the southern border just this year. And those in Washington, what are they doing to fix it? Absolutely nothing. And so that's the Democrats, the do nothing Democrats, the hate Trump mob. Then you jump over to the Republicans and you go, well, what are they doing? Well, they had power for two years, from 2016 to 2018. They had power. What did they do with it? Absolutely nothing. But, Walker, what about the tax cuts? Okay, okay. They passed temporary tax cuts. Guess what? The tax cut law has a sunset provision in it. What does that mean, Walker? That means that it's going to expire. Yes, you heard it right from here. The tax cut law that we all benefited from 
it's going to expire in a couple years. What does that mean? If Congress doesn't reauthorize it, all of our tax benefits that we've been seeing will go flushed right down the toilet. And so Republicans did a few good things in the two years that they were in control. But in large part, they didn't do at least half the things that they promised. Why? Because Mitch McConnell and other senators, other Republican senators, refused to move uh, to change the rules in the Senate from 60 votes to 51 in order to pass legislation which enabled six or eight Democrats in the Senate to block all good legislation. And so when we talk about Washington not doing anything, they are literally not doing anything. The Senate is confirming some of President Trump's judges, but when it comes to legislation, it is absolutely at a standstill. And you say, well, Walker... Aren't they passing budget bills? Aren't they passing spending bills and other, other legislation? First off, the, the budget legislation is a copy and paste job. Literally, it is a copy and paste job. What the legislative assistants do is they copy the text from last year's bill and they paste it in to a new document dated for this year and then they send it over to the Senate to pass. That is literally what happens. They might change it up a little bit. For the most part, it is a copy and paste job. So no work there. No work there. And this is really, this is not a conservative issue. The stagnation in Washington is not a, just a, you know, conservative problem. This affects the entire country from California to New York. It affects the entire country Washington not being able to resolve differences and get things done. So we have a Democrat problem. We have a Republican leader problem, an establishment problem, a status quo problem. People in Washington don't want things to change. But then you add in this angle, we have a regressive radical problem in the Democrat Party. I want to play clip four here. This is Representative Tlaib from Minnesota talking about, well, I'm not really sure if Israel has the right to exist or not. Clip four, let's listen. Do you think the Jewish people have the right to a state in the area where Israel exists now? Look, I truly believe the state of Israel is ex it exists, correct? But understand, does it exist in the detriment of inequality for the Palestinian people? Detriment of not really moving forward in a peaceful resolution. We're never going to have Peace, I truly believe, is separate but equal is the way they want to go. And I can tell you, I learned that from my African-American teachers in Detroit Public Schools who showed me what the pain of oppression looks like. We're not going to have peace if we don't understand that we are dehumanizing Palestinians every single day when we choose Israel over their rights. But yes and, or no, does Israel have a right to exist? Oh, of course. Okay. But just like Palestinians have a right to exist, Palestinians also have a right to human rights. We can't say one or the other. We have to say it in the same breath or we're not going to actually have a peaceful resolution. You know what she just said there? That's Representative uh, Regina Tlaib of Minnesota. <clears throat> if you caught that there, there in the middle of that clip, here's what she said in summary. If Israel wants to continue this separate but equal policy, that's not going to work. What's she saying? 
Israel must give up its country. Israel must give up its nation in order for there to be peace in the Middle East. Huh, well, where does that idea come from? That idea comes from Islamic supremacy straight from the Quran. The Prophet Muhammad destroy the nation of Israel, destroy the Jews. That's what they promote. And here we have an elected representative in the United States of America who is promoting getting rid of Israel as a nation. And she can say, well, yeah, they have a right to exist, but you can't say both. You cannot say that, that, that we cannot, cannot continue allowing Israel to be its own nation, its own state, but, but Israel has a right to exist. Which one is it? And I believe, I believe Representative Tlaib, Representative Omar, I genuinely believe that they are Islamic radicals. They are Islamic radicals dressed in sheep's clothing. And their true belief that they keep hinting at is that they hate Jews. They hate the nation of Israel. And they want to get rid of it. That's what I believe their genuine viewpoint is. And here they are in one of the most powerful positions in the country, an elected representative. But that shows where our country's gone, folks. Because someone elected these people to public office. I want to bounce over to uh, the, the topic of illegal immigration. And there there's some good news on this topic that I'll get at before we end the show. But one story I wanted to bring to your attention, and we've talked about how the, the problem of illegal immigration is a crisis. President Trump has said that. Nobody disagrees with that. Even the Democrats are now saying, yeah, yeah it's a crisis down there. What do you mean to do about it? And... But this is not a victimless crisis, if you will, or a victimless crime where the only person injured is the person who perpetrated the crime. This crisis of illegal immigration has victim upon victim upon victim. Reading from uh, the Epoch, the Epoch Times Com. I'll post this story on the podcast page at AFR.net. Here's the first paragraph. And I said this was happening a few weeks ago. Well, here we go. This is talking about the, the crisis on the southern border. Children are being rented, bought, kidnapped, and recycled so that single adults, mostly men from Central America, can gain quick release into the United States after crossing the border illegally. The cost of renting a child varies. I'm, I'm reading directly from this news story. The Department of Homeland Security Secretary said this. We've had indications that it could cost anywhere from a few hundred, or even in some cases less than a hundred, up to 1,000 or more, to rent a child. And then the story goes on to talk about how this, uh, this is a huge problem on the southern border. But here we have human trafficking on the southern border. These children are being separated, being kidnapped, rented from their parents in Central or Mexico and Central America or Mexico. And there's only one way to stop this. And this is what President Trump has been talking about. The only 
way to stop what's going on on the border is to disincentivize crossing the border illegally. How do you do that? Well, the first step to do it is to build a wall. That is not just a campaign slogan. That is literally a solution. Or at least a part of the solution. You build a wall, stop the flow, and then people in Mexico and Central America will say to themselves, and they'll tell all their friends, hey, when you get to America, there's a 30-foot wall, and you just can't get across it or underneath it or around it. So I would encourage you not to try to cross the border illegally. Instead, get in line like everybody else. That's, that's literally what would happen. Those are the conversations that would happen. And then beyond that, beyond securing the border, you disincentivize illegal immigration by cutting out these loopholes that incentivize illegal immigrants to cross the border with children. You completely disincentivize that and you will begin to, to, to strike a blow to illegal immigration. Another story on the southern border. This is a good news story for once. President Trump, his, uh, his executive order to build uh, uh, miles and miles of fencing on the southern border, that executive order was uh, hung up in courts for the last few months. And finally, a federal court... I'm sorry, this is the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court is allowing the Pentagon to use uh, military funds to build the wall on the border of America and Mexico, of the United States and Mexico. So there you go. President Trump won at the Supreme Court, and President Trump's military, the Pentagon, is immediately going to begin diverting funds to the southern border to fix the problem, uh, or to begin trying to fix the problem. And I want to jump back to this whole idea that Washington is the most unproductive town in America. There's a reason I'm saying that. And it's not for us to feel all bad and sad like we can't do anything to fix a problem. I'm saying that to hopefully wake you up to what's going on in our nation's capital. And there's a few ways. There's two main ways that we can hold our elected representatives accountable and actually begin to see progress in Washington, D.C. when it comes to the issues that we care about as voters. One of the first things and the simplest things you can do is to stay informed. Stay informed. Email. Call your elected representatives, your, your, your congressmen, your senators. Call their offices. Let them know what you think about certain issues. Secondly, lastly... You have to vote. You absolutely have to vote, and you have to make informed decisions about who you're voting for and whether they share your values. Those are two basic civic duties that we absolutely have to do, and we'll talk more about this as we get closer to election season in 2020. Exposing Washington American Family Radio, AFR.net's the website. Go there, check us out, and I'll see you next week.
The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.